0: you to remain standing for our scripture which comes from the gospel of matthew chapter 5 uh, verses 3 through 12 and i'm reading from the niv this morning jesus said blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I can invite you to be seated, please. It's good to have the choir back this morning. It's good to be here with you all as we are gathered together in worship. Today we're going to be continuing, as as Cindy mentioned, in the children's time, um, our sermon series where we're going to be spending time looking at the greatest sermon ever told, which we all know is the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Each week in this series we're going to be going through a portion of one of the three chapters in the Gospel of Matthew that make up the Sermon on the Mount. And last week I shared that the Sermon on the Mount was a sermon that Jesus delivered to his disciples and to others who have chosen to follow him. I think this is something that's important for us to remember, and I'm sure every week in this series I'm going to remind us of this because it's an important distinction for us to know and and for us to think about as we hear these words and as we read them and as we study together that Jesus is preaching these words to help you and I Believers in him in order to provide a blueprint on what it means to follow him. And so basically, what Jesus is doing is he's providing a blueprint, a blueprint for us to, to think about what it means for us to have a personal relationship with God, and then what it means for us, and for a way for us to demonstrate how we live. And so we have to remember, Jesus didn't preach these words for people that are that are seeking. He didn't write them to speak to the larger culture. In fact, he wrote them, he spoke them with an intent that believers would hear them and they would be influenced in a positive way, and it would change the way they act, and it would change the way they live. And so I think it's important for us to remember it, especially as we read the Beatitudes and as we think about them this morning, that Jesus wrote them for us. Last week, I shared that uh, John Wesley, a founder of the Methodist movement, placed a high priority on, on these scriptures that we're reading today, the Beatitudes, and also the Sermon on the Mount. As a founder of, of this movement, he, uh, I mentioned last week that, that he had written 13 sermons on the, the Sermon on the Mount, and, and each of them uh, were important, and he, he wanted them all to be read together, and each of them were part of, of 44 sermons that Wesley called his standard sermons that he wanted every Methodist preacher to have a copy of and to refer to or to preach every year. That'd make life really easy if you just had to re-preach someone's sermons every year. Um, Ernie, I'd have a lot of free time So uh, to play pickleball. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. But so what Wesley did, though, is he had these standard sermons, but I want us to see if there are 44 sermons, and Wesley included 13 of them on the Sermon on the Mount. That should show us how important he felt these passages of Scripture were. Is he included all of them. And what he intended for them to be is to be a framework for our theology and our understanding on how you and I are to live as followers of Jesus. And so for Wesley, the Sermon on the Mount and every scripture in it, they're interconnected. And so he didn't believe that you and I could come back and we could pick and choose the passages from this sermon that we felt were important and then declare other passages unimportant. They're interconnected. And so as I was reading one of the commentaries this week, did I not include the slide in there, Katie, of an arch? Oh, foul. Okay. Okay. Well, I had the picture of, you know, if you have a stone arch and the stones start here and they build up, you know, and and they're all interconnected and they're all touching one another. And if you remove one of them, the entire arch collapses. So it could be the top, the keystone, or any one of the ones on the sides. It's like when you go to um, Science Spectrum or another one of the, the Uh, science museums for children the interactive science museums i'm sure many of us have done the arch where you know there's the pattern and you put all the blocks down and then you there's a piece of wood that lifts it up and then if you've done it right it all stays connected and that's how wesley viewed the sermon on the mount is that you and i have to take every word in it and consider it we have to read every word in it and he believed that we could not pick and choose and decide which verses were important and which verses were not And so this morning, as I've mentioned, we're going to be looking at the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are eight qualities that outline how God will act, or how God will bless those who act in Christ-like ways. So there are eight qualities that Jesus said, you and I as Christians are supposed to act out or live according to, to, and as we do that, God will bless us. And so these are eight qualities for ordinary Christians. They're for you and me. They're not um, qualities that are for a specific group of people or a specific type of people. They're for people who profess to be followers of Jesus Christ. And if you go and if you read the Gospels and if you set them side by side, there are two accounts of the Beatitudes that you can read in the Gospels. The first is the one that we're studying, which comes from the Gospel of Matthew. The second comes from the Gospel of Luke. And if you go and read them side by side, they're a little different from each other. And there are some differences in how they've been interpreted. For example, Luke's gospel since the 1880s has been used um, by a movement that, that what they tried to do is use scripture to, to place in the middle of American life and, and also worldwide life and, and attempting to try and, and um, have people do good and have people correct ills in community, but without ever connecting it with the gospel of Jesus. And so it's good and that it's worked. When people have said, blessed are the poor as they read in the Gospel of Luke, or blessed are the merciful, or blessed are the peacemakers, doing all of these things. But there's a separation there when we don't try and connect it with what the Gospel tells us, and what it means for us to share the Gospel of Jesus Christ, and what it means for us to have the motivation for what we're doing as followers of Jesus be at the forefront of what we're doing. And so Luke's Gospel has been used for this, and it, its positive has been that it's helped to motivate Christians to do good. But a criticism would be the disconnect between the gospel and kingdom living and what we're trying to do. Another criticism would also be that it's trying to place you know, the Christian moral or ethic in the middle of the culture without connecting it to the gospel of Jesus and without um, encouraging people to become followers of Jesus. And so, a criticism of it would be that it would be easy for someone to say, if they look at Luke's gospel in the next one that we're talking about, the first beatitude, where it says, "Woe are the poor, or um, blessed are the poor, for they sh- uh, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs," or whatever. Because basically, what it allows people to do is it would allow them to say, "Well, why should I help the poor if they're already going to get let into the kingdom of heaven, no matter what I do." And so as we look at each of these Beatitudes, I want you to spend some time on them and and to think about them. We could uh, probably spend eight weeks on them and do a separate sermon on each one. But today we're just going to look at them as a block because they're instructions on how you and I as citizens of God and of Jesus can become a part of God's kingdom. It tells us about how we who are redeemed Christians are to live. And they tell us about how we are supposed to be the salt of the earth or the light of the world and that our faith in Jesus would help us to find happiness as we're blessed by God and as we live in in return or in exchange for the gift of grace that he's given us. So as we read these words, I want to invite you to ask yourself, how is this a blueprint for my faith? Because they're not abstract things. They're not teachings written to to justify the condition of someone else. What they are is they're a progression of faith for you you and I to look and to see and to think about the ways that we are able to grow in our faith. And as we do so, we recognize in even greater ways our need for the grace of God. And as we grow closer in God, we find ourselves blessed as we grow closer to Him. And so the first one is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean for us to be poor in spirit? What does that mean as part of our blueprint of what it means to be a follower of Jesus? And friends, I think this is at the very beginning. I think um, this is part of, of what Wesley talked about when he talked about recognizing our need for, for uh, prevenient grace or recognizing our need for grace is for us to be poor in spirit. It's for us to realize that we're helpless before God. That we are unable to stand before God on our own. And in Wesleyan language, it's us realizing that we are sinners and we're in need of God's grace and of God's forgiveness. And so if we're saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What we're saying is we're recognizing that we fall short of who God wants us to be on our own. And we recognize that the only way that we are going to receive the kingdom of heaven is by recognizing that, that we're sinners. And we're helpless and we need the grace of God, we need the forgiveness of God. We need everything that God can and do for us in order to have a true relationship with Him and with Jesus. And so in Jesus' day, the Pharisees taught and believed something else, didn't they? They talked about how God's kingdom was going to come through their works and about how closely they followed the law, the zealots believed differently. They believed that if they were able to assassinate the right number of Romans or or bring about bloodshed and conflict, that they would achieve God's kingdom. Jesus says something totally different for that. He says God's kingdom is going to come to those who recognize that they need grace. That's it. And so for us to be poor in spirit is for us to recognize the first part of this progression or this blueprint that Jesus is telling us is that we need to recognize that, with, that we need God's grace and we need God's forgiveness. We have to open ourselves to him and we have to receive that promise that is the kingdom. But then Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. When I think of mourning, I always think of, of, often, you know, of mourning the loss of a loved one. But I think what Jesus really wants us to see is that we are mourning something else. Is that spiritually, he wants us as his followers to realize that in becoming a follower of him, there can be mourning as we give up those things that we know that he wants us to give up. And as we leave them behind and as we move forward into the positive future that he's placed before us. And so when we're poor in spirit, we recognize that there are things we need to give up. We recognize that we are sinful, that we are helpless. And when we start to give those things up, we realize there is loss. We realize there is change. We realize that there is a cost to being a follower of Jesus. And we may also realize that, that being a Christian is not always sunshine. It's not always laughter. It's not always happy thoughts. Because it's hard when it requires us to give up habits or actions or relationships or thoughts as we recognize who we truly are and who we really need to be and who God really wants us to be. And so when Jesus said, Blessed are they who mourn, it's, it's Jesus saying, Bless those who mourn their sins as they recognize what they've done, as they recognize how they've fallen short and ask for God's forgiveness and receive the gift of grace and mercy. See, it's perfectly natural for us to mourn those things. I mean, if you have to give up friendships or or habits or or other things, I mean, there's going to be loss, isn't there? And so what is Jesus saying? He's saying, blessed are you that recognize that there are things in your life that you need to give up in order to pursue me and in order to have a relationship with God in a greater way. That's cool. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. What does it mean to be meek? Meekness is is our our true view of, of what it means for us to be ourselves. Of looking at ourselves in humility and of recognizing the areas that we fall short. Psalm 37 verse 11 says, But the humble or meek will inherit the land and will enjoy abundant prosperity. That's what Jesus is saying, isn't he? He's saying those who have humility, those who, who are willing to go to God and say, not by my will but by yours, are the ones that will inherit, are the ones that will become part of God's kingdom, are the ones that are going to be able to, to be in the presence of God. Jesus himself used Psalm 37, verse 11 as, as he was in the garden of Gethsemane and as he, um, you know, as he prayed to God himself. And so for us to be meek is for us to give God everything. To open ourselves to him. And to allow God to use us as he sees fit. That's kind of scary. And it's not a weakness. It's really a strength in us realizing and and placing ourselves in Christ in such a way that we say that, that we are willing to do. We are willing to follow. We are willing to go. We are willing to try and attempt whatever it is that you've laid on our hearts. Because you know best what's best for us and you know the will for our lives friends when we're weak we inherit the kingdom when we're meek we inherit the resurrection of life that god offers us through jesus when we're meek we're humble and being humble god will give us so much blessed are those who who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled or satisfied i think it's easy for us to read this one and and we think hungry but what is he saying what is jesus saying uh, to be hungry for righteousness to be thirsty for righteousness what does that mean for us in the blueprint of what it means to live and to read this as a progression as a way that we grow closer to god and closer to jesus friend when when we're hungry and, and thirsty for righteousness we're hungry with a passion for god himself We yearn to be be conformed to the image of Jesus, to be crafted into who God and Jesus wants us to be. And so by saying that we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we hunger for those things that can be only provided to us by God himself. And so when we seek Christ, he fills us up by his redeeming work and by his transforming grace. And so when we hunger and thirst for this, what we're doing is we're recognizing that there's only a place in us that God himself can fill. We're recognizing that there's a hole in us, whatever it is, whether, you know, I mean, you could picture it however you want to be, but we recognize that there's something within us that that as we look around the world or as we think about our life before we became serious about our faith, that we've tried so hard to fill with every other thing. And, you know, the funny thing is, is when it's more hungering, for things other than righteousness, for things other than God. The thing is, is every time we, we fill this hole, we think we're satisfied, and then we find that that satisfaction is short-lived. We find that it is fleeting, we find that it goes away, and then it's like an addiction. Every time we, we go back to it, we realize that there's more and more of this other thing, and it's satisfying us less and less. But see, friends, when Jesus says, blessed are those who... who um, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He's saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for God. In his writings, um, St. Augustine wrote, you have made us for yourself and our hearts for restless until they rest in you. And, and this is what Augustine was talking about, this heart-shaped hole. And, and he himself, you know, he was a church father that lived in the 300s. Yeah, because he was at the Council of Nicaea. So the 300s, and he was, you know, Wild living before he encountered Christ. Did all sorts of things and then God changed his life and he recognized that all of the things he tried to fill his life with were fleeting. Until he found Jesus and until he was transformed and then he found himself full. Because he hungered and he thirsted for righteousness and he was satisfied. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. So all four of the first Beatitudes are based on the gift of mercy. They're based on the gift of grace. They're based on us recognizing that that without the gifts that God has given us, we are insufficient on our own. We can't receive any of these things without the grace of God. And so when we say and when we go to this Beatitude, we recognize that, that mercy is the recognition that God has helped us. And so because God has helped us, it's only natural for us to have an outflow of mercy into others. Because God has dealt us this gift of mercy and this gift of grace. And He pours into us amounts that that are beyond what you and I could ever need or use. And so it's only sensible for us. It's only uh, right for us. It's only proper for us as kingdom people. To be willing to share to be willing to allow the mercy that god has given us to flow into the lives of others as he's given it to us and so to be meek we've recognized that that we are sinners in need of forgiveness and grace and to be merciful it's for us to have compassion on others and to recognize that they are sinners too and to call them to a life that's worth living in jesus to to call them to repentance, to call them to to the life that, that fills. Because we all have a hunger and we all have a thirst, and the only thing that fills us is that righteousness that comes from God himself. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Well, here's the thing, is God's more concerned with our inward character than he is our outward behavior. He's more concerned about what's going on in your heart than he is what you're doing on the outside. Of course, the indicator to that is usually on the outside is an example or proof of what our inward condition really is, isn't it? And so if I can peer clean outwardly, But inwardly, I think differently, then I'm no different from the Pharisee that Jesus says, look at the Pharisee that's standing there in the temple, lifting his prayers to God, you know, making a scene. See, friends, for us to be pure in heart, it's for us to be more concerned with our attitude and, and what motivates us. Because we know that our attitude and what motivates us is what leads to our actions. In Matthew, later, Jesus says in Matthew 15, verses 18 through 19, He says, but the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. And these are the things that make the man, a man unclean or a person unclean. See, the condition of your heart is what's important to Jesus. Because He knows that by removing those things that are in my heart and in your heart that keep us from from truly experiencing God, as we'd remove those things. Then we'll come closer to God in faith, and the outflow of that will be us pouring mercy and grace and everything else that He has given us into the lives of others. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Why This verse isn't telling us how to become a follower of Jesus. It's not telling us that that for us to, to, to bring peace, we're going to become a child of God. But what it's telling us is that peacemaking is going to be a defining quality of what it means for us to be followers of him. Jesus is saying, if you're going to be known as a follower of me, you are going to be known as someone who pursues peace in your relationships and in the other aspects of your life you're going to be known as someone who goes into places and who's known for bringing peace into those places not being one well, I mean we all know people that walk into a situation or or something that's slightly uh, stressful or there's a little bit of conflict and it's like you know they're the ones walking in with the dynamite in hand ready to blow things up right isn't this what Jesus is saying he's saying if you're truly a follower of me you're going to be known as someone who brings the opposite of that Because God seeks to offer peace between us and Him. And God did that through what He did through Jesus on the cross. And so when we think of peacemaking, it can be eliminating conflict. It can be encouraging forgiveness. It can be uniting those that have differences. But I think ultimately what Jesus wanted us to see is that it can also be helping others to find Christ. Because a heart that does not know Christ is a heart that's not peaceful. And when Paul prayed or when Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, he said that we may have the peace that surpasses all, transcends all understanding. So I think it's easy for us to think of peace in terms of conflict and, and relationships and other things. But could what Jesus Be be saying to us is that... Blessed are those of you who help to share my words so that others understand and so that others have peace in their hearts and in their lives so that they also can be children of God as you are a child of God. And then he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you Because of me, rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. All right, so Jesus has given us the blueprint to be poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers. And then he says, Here is what might happen to you. It's because when you live a life that reflects the life of Jesus, it's an invitation to to persecution. Because Jesus, as we know, Jesus, as we read, Jesus, as we've looked in the letters and in the Gospels, is the only person in history who has been perfect. But yet, in being perfect, he was hung on the cross. Even as he faced, and as we as his followers can face so many different things. It could be actions or family relationships or other things. Jesus is telling us to be ready and to be glad, to be not surprised. You know, even the apostles themselves were, were counted worthy because they suffered for God's name. I mean, go and read the book of Acts. You can read about about Peter and his sufferings and Paul and his sufferings and and others who who had various um, afflictions or, or conflict or other things that were happening. And it was because of their faith. So why are the Beatitudes so loved? It's because they give us a portrait of Jesus. It's because they give us a picture of the true cost of what it means for us to follow Him. And it's because they give us a blueprint of what and how we can choose to live so that we can be blessed and so that others can see evidence of God in our lives as followers of Him. As we recognize who we are, as we recognize what we are, as we recognize that we are helpless before God without, you know, the gift of His grace and without His action on our behalf. And as we recognize the ways that He will bless us, as we choose to follow faith, as we choose to follow hope, and as we choose to follow Jesus.